legacy. Thank you, Tess. That was such an incredible introduction, a very humbling introduction, but thank you so much for coming out on a, on a rainy Sunday uh, to be with us. And I am equally passionate as Tess is about family of all shapes, all sizes, all kinds. And so it is an absolute privilege for me to be with you this morning. Um, so as Tess said, I lead a, a movement called The Chats. My husband and I also lead a church in Amshloti called Olive Tree Amshloti. So um, yeah, that is an absolute privilege and joy as well. Uh, I have three beautiful children. I have twin boys in grade eight at Northwood, and I have a, a girl who is in grade 10 at Ashton. So we divide and conquer um, in these two incredible schools that are such a gift to our lives. Um, my husband and I have been married for 20 years last month, so that was fun. Um, I always say it was harder for him than for me because he's much nicer than me. Um, and yeah, fun facts, I spent yesterday in the emergency room with my son getting seven stitches in the bottom of his foot after playing open gates next door with friends and cutting it on a patio. And my breakfast was a peanut butter sandwich out of Tupperware on the way here this morning. So yes, um, life is full and fun and I'm privileged to live the life that I lead. Um, you know, sometimes there's there's movies that you watch in your life that stay with you. And I don't know if any of you watched a movie, it was many years ago, it was called The Pursuit of Happiness. When I think about it, my heart constricts. It had such an effect on me. It was about a man, Will Smith um, played the role, um, trying to make a life for himself and his young son. And the world was against him. They ended up living on the streets. And it was, it's a true story about his pursuit of, of, of a good life for him and his child. And, um, and I often do research. I love, I'm a bit of a nerd. And I, I came across this research that was the longest study that's ever been done on happiness and what makes people happy. They took about 300 graduates from Harvard and then about 450 poor men growing up, all born around the 40s, and followed them throughout their lives. So they've been studying these men for 80 years. They've done brain scans, surveys, interviews, blood tests, to answer this one question, what makes people happy? And um, it was not money. It was not success. Um, it boiled down to one key thing. And in the words of um, the psychiatrist, um, Robert Waldinger, who's the director of the study, he says, the clearest message we get from this study, from this 80-year study, is this. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. And so this doesn't mean you need a ton of friends or a ton of, of romantic relationships. It's, not the, it's the quality of our relationships, not the quantity that matter. Raw vulnerability, comfort in being seen for who we truly are, and the safety of sharing the most private things with someone else. And so connection is what makes us happy. Connection is what feeds our souls. That is the one thing that human beings were designed for above all else. And as we know, as followers of Christ, it is not just relationships with people. It is not just connections with other human beings, although those are fundamental to our well-being. It is a connection to God, it's a connection to ourselves, and it's a connection to the world. And this morning, I just want to talk a little bit about how these, how important these connections are, why the enemy attacks them, 
and what we can do practically in this week to foster and build and prioritize and strengthen those connections. Because what I see, and at the heart of everything I do, is this fight for connection. That is basically what the chat is built on. Because our world has never been more disconnected. You know, we've never been more connected, but yet we've never been less connected than ever before of any other generation before us. Um, over busy schedules, addictions, blurring of work and family hours, pursuit of sport, um, you know, loneliness, living alone, um, children and teens spending more and more time alone in their bedrooms, on their devices, our world, the connections that keep us together, the glue that connects our culture is more and more under attack. And so I want to start right at the beginning in Genesis because that's always um, the most wonderful place to start. So if you can put that scripture up, I don't mind if it doesn't go up. If there's a technical fault, I have it over here as well. Um, but I want to just read what the Word of God says right at the beginning about connection. From Genesis 2 verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I want us to stop for a moment and just see this. God created the world with his word, but he created you with his hands. He created you with his touch and with his breath. I once heard it described like this. He created us with his touch so that we would always crave it. This is our primary connection, the touch of God. And then it goes on to say in Genesis 2, 20 to 25, so man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib that was taken out of man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man, and that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I love, love, love the scripture so much. Um, there is so much in here, but here we see God created connection between people. Not just between a man and his wife, but between us as human beings. Um, that in our connection, in our relationship, we find um, our destiny. And relationship um, is, <clears throat> is the key to flourishing and outworking of our, um, of, our, of our destiny and our purpose on earth. In his book, um, Irresistible, Adam Altner, he tells this incredible story. So during the 60s, um, there was a war called the Vietnam War. Um, and during that war, a large amount of the American soldiers who were fighting in Vietnam got addicted to opium because it was a horrific place. They were bored a lot of the time. Opium was cheap and available, and a lot of them became crack addicts. And so the American government <clears throat> was incredibly concerned about this. And as the war came to an end, they started to build more and more rehab clinics to treat this huge amount of addicts that were going to return home after the war. But what they found was as these men returned into work, into community, <clears throat> into family, into relationship, only 3% of those addicts actually needed treatment. And I don't know if you know this about opium, but generally opium only has about a 5% recovery rate. 
Um, and so what, what um, this astounded um, researchers and what they came to, find, to um, understand is that the opposite of addiction was not sobriety, the opposite of addiction was connection. And then connection, we find our healing and our well-being and our purpose and our identity. So guess what? The enemy hates connection. There are so many ways that the enemy fights against connection and tries to rip it apart in our culture. And I don't have time to talk about a lot today, so I'm just going to talk about a couple. It wouldn't be the chats if we didn't talk a little bit about sexuality. So this is one way that the enemy is causing chaos and separation in our culture. Um, actually, a Jesuit priest said it the best. He said, we would rather take our clothes off and call that intimacy than take our masks off and be fully known. Our culture has cheapened sex to be something that is recreational. It is the enemy has lied to us and said that you can have sex with someone and it will not impact your soul. The enemy has lied to us and said sex is, can be um, easy or casual. Casual sex is an oxymoron. Those English nerds out there will know what an oxymoron is. When you put two opposite words next to each other, it does not exist. And so something that is supposed to be, that, that, that scripture in Genesis says, a man shall leave his father and be united with his wife, they're talking about sexual intimacy. It is a cement that is meant to hold marriages together. But the enemy has said, no, 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 it's fine. You know, you can do it with whoever. And unfortunately, the rates of porn watching and casual sex and sex outside marriage are the same outside and inside the church. So the enemy is lying to us as followers of Jesus to say, that book, what it says, did God really say? But he wasn't living in 2020. He doesn't know how expensive it is to live in two apartments, you know, that kind of thing. So the enemy has used this to tear families apart. Statistically, couples who live together before they get married have a much higher divorce rate than those who wait. But no, it's convenient. It makes sense. And so, I mean, I love this. Anne Forskamp, she says this thing. She says, the, the union of two bodies is nothing less than the union of two souls. So don't do with your body what you're not ready to do with your whole life. And I love this. John Tyson, who leads a church in New York City, he says, sex has enough combustible power to destroy character, marriage vows, conscience, and religious devotion. Just in case we thought it was just a little thing. And so in our sexuality, you know, um, the enemy has come and torn relationships apart and weakened relationships from the outside. The other attack um, on our connection is, is the ultra-independent individualism that our culture um, is and that, we, that the air that we live and breathe. This thing of, please don't tell me what to do. I'll listen to a few things. I'll take the bits that I want, um, but please don't tell me what to do. Um, Jonathan Grant, author of Divine Sex, says this. He says, modern culture encourages us to create our own beliefs and morality, the only rule being that they must resonate with who we really feel we are. The worst thing we can do is conform to some moral code imposed on us by society, parents, or the church. It's deemed to be self-evident that such imposition would undermine our unique and authentic self. It's literally the Garden of Eden all over again. Did God really say... Are you sure? No, but let's just take that bit of the Bible and not that bit. Um, and we are so, it, it kind of created this culture in us where we're really reluctant to commit, to be planted in a community of believers and be vulnerable. Um, and so instead of being part of an uncomfortable, robust um, 
accountable community, we often approach even church, and I say this lovingly, as a consumer rather than a contributor. Where we go going, okay, what can the church do for me? You know, do they have good coffee? Do they have good worship? Do they have good preaching? Do they have good kids' church? How can they serve me? And yes, the church is here to serve, but so are we. I have this incredible friend who relocated from Joburg, um, and they are a wonderful family. And, you know, we have so many great churches up and down the coast. But she and her husband decided to find the church that needed the most help. They needed somewhere that they could serve, that they could tithe, that they could, that they could be part of. And I think just that heart towards community is, what can I give to this community? What can I give to this relationship? Um, how can I be a contributor? How can I be vulnerable um, in this space? And then the, the next thing that, that is tearing apart our um, connections is distraction. John Markoma, who leads a, an incredible movement called... Um, practicing the way, he says this, we live in an era where it's possible to go through your entire life and never really be alone. Because even when we're alone, we're on our phone or in the internet or in our entertainment queue. The cultural critic um, Carl Newport in his book, Digital Minimalism, writes, it is now impossible to completely banish solitude from your life. The moment most of us are ever alone in a room or even in our cars, we reach for the appendage of our device, check our text, open social media, read the news, play music, put on a podcast, Google, whatever. Our devices keep us tethered to the world of noise. And the threat of all that noise and distraction isn't just to our minds or even to our bodies, but to our souls. How many moments have I missed where God wants to speak to me or shape me because I was too distracted by my device? And I, I'm so convicted by this because I do this all the time. Um, and then, so there's distraction. It dist and our, our devices don't just distract us from God. They distract us from each other. Do you know that babies are learning to talk later than they ever have before? And it's not because the babies are watching Cocomelon. It's because their moms are on Instagram. Before phones... They used to call motherhood a, a kind of a monastic life because you were kind of cut off from the world and, and you could pour into your children. Not anymore. I can be fully with my child and be completely absent from them. Not even talk to them enough for them to hear language that they can mimic and learn because I'm snapping my friends or I'm taking photographs of my baby to put on my baby's Instagram page. It's a strange, strange world we are living in. And then just plain old busyness is one of the ways that we disconnect from each other. You know, we fill our lives with so many things that appear good and are good in and of themselves. But sometimes we prioritize building empires over building relationships. And sometimes we prioritize physical fitness over relational fitness. And sometimes we prioritize our own self-care because I think this word has been abused in our culture, um, to the care of the communities that we put ourselves in. And then the last thing that I feel disconnects us, and this is such a huge one, is shame. You know, I heard this saying once that said, friends are like toddlers. When they go quiet, you know something's up. And often we disconnect when we need people the most, because we don't want people to see who we truly are and what we're truly struggling with. 
When, when one of my son, when my, well, my, both my sons were little, one of my sons went missing in the house and we could not find him and we were calling him and we were calling him and we couldn't find him. And eventually we found him under a table eating a massive chocolate. And he just, this look on his face was like he knew he was hiding for a reason because he was doing something he shouldn't be doing. And in Genesis 3, verse 7 to 10, we see Adam and Eve in a pretty similar way. He said it's after they had, had chosen to, to take on the role of God in their own lives and recreate truth for their own selves outside God's truth, it says this, then their eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made cut coverings for themselves, hiding. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he hid from God amongst the trees in the garden. But the Lord said to them, called to man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. We hide often when we feel shame. I heard once it said that shame is the only human emotion God never wanted us to feel because it's not part of our identity. The way I understand it is guilt is a good emotion. It's the, it's the emotion that goes, this is what God's word says. This is what my life says. They don't measure up. Let me make changes that, that bring me into my inheritance and into my identity as a child of God. Shame says you're a lost cause. If anyone knew what you really did, what you really watched, who you really were, they would not accept you. And so often it is shame that keeps us disconnected. And then what we do is we go to other places to numb ourselves um, and try and keep our pain inside. And so the, this is one of the biggest disconnectors in our culture. So what do we do? How can we live lives that are well-connected? Well, firstly, obviously, it's so important to know that that division that happened between us in the garden was reconciled in Jesus. Jesus tore down the division and he reunited us with our father and our true identity. So we are not disconnected because the connection is not there. The connection is there. It's just us reclaiming who we are that is part of our process. And um, I love the scripture in Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40. It says, hearing Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbors as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang off to these two things. The scripture is so beautiful and powerful because it illustrates for us the power of connection between us and God and us and others. So how do we do this? How do we prioritize our connections with others? Well, my encouragement is that in our relationships, we focus on connection over information. You know, one of the things that I do and I have the massive privilege of doing is I'm rewriting some grade nine and grade eight life orientation curriculum at Northwood School. And one of, the, one of the units that I'm doing right now, so, so now with the grade nines, I've written this unit called Greater Than, and it's like the sign. And the, and the unit that we're doing right now um, is called um, Healing is Greater Than Hurting. And I talk to them about why don't boys ask for help? Why, how can we ask for help? And I asked one of the boys, I asked one of the classes, what stops us asking our parents for help? And he said, their reaction. 
He says, and, I, and I've heard this from so many boys, he says, no matter what mark I get on my test, they always ask me what happened to the rest of the mark. They're never satisfied. And then a lot of boys as well, if I say to them, if you're having problems on, with social media or pornography, why don't you go to your parents? They say, no, because of their reaction. They'll kill me, basically, is what they always say to me. They'll kill me and take my phone away. And so I think how we speak to our families is going to build or break connection within our homes. Our homes need to be places of unconditional love. One of the units that I do with the boys is called Love is Greater Than Tolerance, and I actually literally do the five love languages with them. Because believe it or not, teenage boys don't really know a lot about love. They're like, but clueless, love them, but. So I, I have to unpack for them. How do you love your, your family? How do you love your friends? How do you love your teachers? No, mom, ma'am, that's just weird. No, no, loving relationships. But anyway, I get them to do the love language quiz. And the highest percentage always, for those of you who don't know the love languages, it's basically we give and receive love in different ways. Um, there's five of them. Um, and the one that comes up tops every single time is they want quality time. And I have a theory that is unproven that the reason our teenagers are craving quality time with their families is because they don't get enough of it. The average teenager spends about six hours a day on the internet and about 45 minutes a day with their family. We need to prioritize time and connection with our kids. And I love this. It said, I, I, was, I listened to Lisa Damore. She's an amazing psychologist. She says, at least once a day, greet your kids like the family dog would greet them. <laughs> no expectations, no questions about how many hours they've studied or when their next test is or you know, why they're so grumpy, just with absolute unbridled love. Lick them, lick them, jump on them, wrestle them, play with them, just love on them. Even when they go, you are so disgusting, mom, leave me alone. <laughs> um, and so just prioritize relationships and then look out for each other in our communities. Look for people who are lonely. Look for people who need connection. Look for people who need help. Um, and invest in those relationships. Be aware of how our phones draw us away from face-to-face -face relationships. You know, we always talk about teenagers and their phones. Every single time I ask teenagers, do you think your parents are on their phone too much? They all put their, phone, their hands up. How often do our children look at the top of our head while we are on our phones instead of looking into our faces when we're talking to them? How much time do we spend on social media that we could be spending with our friends, with our families, um, and with other people? And so put, put down our phones, open our hearts, and be vulnerable and truly seen. To ourselves, how do we prioritize this connection with ourselves? To be honest, sometimes I'm the last person I want to connect with. I'm like, let's just leave that stuff in there. Leave the lid on it because it's best that way. I don't know if you ever feel like that. But if we don't look after ourselves, if we don't go to those places inside ourselves that need attention, we spill out 
that toxic stuff onto everyone around us because it doesn't stay in there. You know, they say that humans are like toothpaste, tubes of toothpaste. You squeeze them and what's inside comes outside. So maybe on your best day, you can keep yourself together. But if on your worst day, that stuff is going to come out over everyone else. So please, we have to take time to process our emotions in a healthy way. And we need to model this for our children. You know, they say never give an iPad to a crying child. 100% teaches them to binge watch Netflix as adults when they are feeling pain. And that's what a lot of us do. So we need to really, I'm not talking about navel gazing and pity parties. I'm talking about what do we need to change and where do we need to bring our lives into alignment with the word, word of God. And if you need help, as Tess said, you are part of a loving community who will walk a road with you. And then just give your brain a break. You know, the old school practice of quiet time, it's actually really, really good for our brains. Even, even if you took Jesus out of the equation, time when your brain is quiet at least once a day is vital to the functioning of your brain. Your brain gets to file things and go, tch, 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 oh, okay, I think that, tch, tch, okay, I'm okay with that. But when we just go from, from noise to noise to noise, like John Mark Homer says, we never get to be quiet and, and actually process what's going on in our lives. And the same is true of our children. I don't know if you, if you're, what your family is like, but my kids never come home and go, mom, make yourself a cup of tea. I just wanna unpack my day with you. And if our kids go from school to hockey, to extra maths, to taekwondo, to homework, to iPad, to bed, they never getting the time to be quiet and, and figure out what they actually think about things. Those conversations with my kids happen when they're sitting at the kitchen counter and I'm cooking dinner, or I'm, I'm hitting the, the millionth hockey ball with one of my boys in the garden. Quietness. So it's as simple as turn off the car radio. Just let yourself be quiet. Um, when you're in the, the queue somewhere, where do we have queues? Lots of places. Don't take out your phone. Just sit and let your brain be quiet for a moment. Um, and then the other thing is create margin in your life. Um, Dallas Willard says, hurry is the great enemy of the soul in our day. You know what I heard? I, my, a friend of mine preached at our church on boundaries the other day, and she gave, gave me such good advice, which I will give to you. No is a full sentence. <laughs> no. Thanks for the invites, but no. Can you um, please look after my kids? No, sorry, not today. I need time. We feel so guilty when we have half an hour in our life and we don't want to give it to someone else. Margin. Um, Tess said she loved the rain this weekend because it created that time in her life. And then to God, all other connections must flow from this one fundamental connection. Acts 17, 28 says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Outside him, we cannot do it. We can't. We can try, but it won't be what he has called us to be and it won't be the life that he wants us to live. We have to abide deeply in him, our eyes and our ears open to what he wants to say. And connecting with God, we know who we really are. He calls out our destiny and he replaces lies with truth. He brings conviction sometimes, he brings healing, encouragement. I love the scripture from Romans 8 verse 16. He says, 
God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers in our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Creating space and quiet with God is the most fundamental thing we need to do to establish connection. Um, you know, it's World Cup time. Um, yay. Um, love, love the, the patriotism and all of that stuff. Not that excited about rugby, sorry. Um, my daughter hates it. She won't, she won't watch rugby games with people. She says, why would I want to sit in a room full of men screaming at a TV? She's like, what for? Um, but the other day, we were watching the World Cup, and all the men, generally the men, there are some women, sorry for stereotyping, ladies, if you shout at the TV too, shouting at the ref, shouting about the bad decisions, shouting about what should be happening, and what that player should be doing, and how he should be on the bench, and how he shouldn't be on the bench, and like all of this noise. And with all that noise, you can't actually hear the commentator, the one who actually knows what's going on. You have all of these armchair experts shouting the odds. And the people who actually know what's going on, the people who study it and do it for a living, mm, no airtime. And that's what our lives are often like, is all of the people, all of the stuff, all of the podcasts, all of the good advice, all of the WhatsApps, all of the, the stuff, so noisy, we can't hear God's voice. The one who knows what's going on. <laughs> the one who actually speaks the truth about us. And so it is so important that we don't hide in the shadows. You know, God knew where Adam was. He doesn't go, Adam, where are you? He's like, oh, Adam, where are you? I know you're in the bushes, but why? Why are you hiding? I know everything anyway. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts about people who've come out of um, sex trafficking. It's part of what I do. And I was listening to this woman the other day, and she used to be a porn performer, and she's now a pastor. And um, this, this interviewer was saying to her, how do you speak so candidly about all the things you've done? She says, because I know that I'm forgiven. And she says, God has spoken my identity over me. So there's nothing that anyone can say to me that will change that. And she says, that has just liberated me to get the help I need and to encourage others around me. And so my encouragement is if you feel far from God, it is not because God is far from you. That connection is there. It was bought with the blood of Jesus. So if you have not given your life to Jesus, if you have not received this incredible gift of reconciliation with your father, that would be your first step. But if you have done that, it's just a case of going, Father, thank you that I'm your child and allowing him to be con deeply connected to you as he wants you to be. God loves us so much. He doesn't love us for who we are and what we do. I'm sorry, he doesn't love us for what we do or what we achieve. He loves us for who we are. As I, I tried to convince my daughter to come with, with me this morning, but she wanted to go to our church instead. And I said to her, I love you. And even though you won't come to church with me this morning, 
I still love you. <laughs> and God, no matter who we are, he loves us with all of his heart. And so my encouragement this week is reconnect with your father. If there are things that you need help with, there's a family around you. Your father has forgiven you for everything. <laughs> and now it's just us together. And the most beautiful thing that one of my friends said to me, and this is what I'll leave with you, is as people, as followers of Jesus, we are all just walking each other home. Thank you.